started as a, as a very young person to draw a lot because, and that was also inspired because I loved comic books and, and I worked in a comic book store as a kid. Um, but when I finished high school, I figured the next step would be to learn how to paint and to make paintings. But I was, you know, I didn't go to art school, so I did it by myself. Um, I used photographs as a, as a source material to make paintings. And, and, and since I didn't really have an art education and I hadn't really a clue on, on, on what to paint, the subject matter was very much um, inspired by whatever I had and whatever I had was me and I could find me in family photographs. And, and the focus of that continued. And when I was in Skowhegan, I asked all the other artists as well to see if they had a photograph that, that was for them important. And it turned out most of the artists had a, a picture of their family with them. And there's just something universal to it. I guess it's, it, it speaks to all of us that you def define yourself a little bit by the people that you love and the pictures you have of those people. What's your life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews with Jen Rod, where you will discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful life with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. I cannot wait to kick on with this conversation. I've met with Sebastian before, always inspiring to sit and talk with him. He's a self-made artist, born in Amsterdam. And um, yeah, he's now living in New York City. His work has been exhibited in three different galleries around the world. And um, it hasn't stopped there. So it's a beautiful story of a person that had a dream to, to do something and they yeah, figured their way around what exactly they wanted to do within the genre and in his case within the art world and and he went for it. So it's it's such an inspiring story. I love seeing the world through Sebastian's eyes and um, it will inspire all of you. This is, is not a story just for artists. It's a story for human beings. So I always say that stories mirror our own lives. No matter whose story it is, we can always see our own life in someone else's story. And yeah, that's why um, that's why there's inspirational interviews. And that's why I do what I do is to inspire all of you through other people's beautiful stories. So before I kick on with Sebastian's interview, just a quick one. As you all know, if anyone needs someone to help them tell a story, let me know. I can do that for you. And uh, of course, it doesn't have to be for the public. It can just be a private life story that you share just with your family and friends or you just keep it for yourself for now. Um, but I've, of course, you know, in the corporate world as well, also help people uh, to tell stories. So if anyone needs someone to tell a story, then let me know and I can help them with that process. My contact details, it's jen at inspirationalinterviews.com. And otherwise, guys, share this on with friends. Uh, I'm growing this show organically, so it would be amazing if everyone just shared the show on with a friend and asked them to share it with one friend. I'd be super grateful. So, yeah, don't hesitate to do that. And um, I'm available on all the different platforms, Instagram, Facebook, etc. So find me there. Feel welcome. And if you want to contact me or ask me any questions, some of you do do that. You have uh thoughts on something yeah 
let me know. I'm always available to hear people's thoughts. And if you know somebody who's super inspiring to you and you would like to to hear their story told, then please let me know because I'm always looking for amazing human beings who are just out there doing their thing and it's really just that simple you know it's just people doing their thing and often people don't think that their own story is inspiring because it's just their story but it is and when people are out there just literally connecting with their truth that's the best we can do as a human being on this earth so without any further ado guys let's give a warm welcome for Sebastian Bremer. Hey Sebastian. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. You seem relaxed. Yeah, I am. I, I, I did some stupid chores today. I, oh. uh, right now you can apply for all these kind of grants over here because of the epidemic. So I just completed one of them. I hate doing that. Yeah. So I feel, feel, feel good. And it's my wife's birthday and it's Passover. And oh, happy birthday for your wife. Yeah. So, so you know, but, and I'm lucky I can go to my studio. Yeah. I was stuck in their home. What are oh, you doing? I'll show you my studio. Oh. <laughs> that was so funny. Okay. It's so, totally out of focus, isn't it's it? It's totally out of focus, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> that's the Skype thing. No, my studio is in, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Okay. And um, uh, I've got two little rooms on top of an old factory. Yeah. It's, uh, it's four or five minutes walking from my house. And I've been in this studio for, in this building for maybe 16 years. Yeah. And yeah. in this studio for 10. You had it when I spoke to you last in the first uh, interview. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was supposed to have a new exhibition actually at uh, the same gallery at Ron Mandel's in, um, uh, in May, but that's postponed. Yeah. No, I know. Well, I remember that because you said you were going to come by again. And, yeah. um, a bizarre time you know when we spoke what are you across here how do you say it do you say when you were across here <laughs> it's not really down it's across across well when you come to the netherlands how do you say when i come across when i come over there or you know uh, when, when i'm visiting yeah like in south africa we say when we go down when we come down to you oh uh, okay yes well when i came when i when i was when I'm back in Amsterdam, when yeah. I was down in Amsterdam. Uh, down, you say down, yeah. Okay. There's another artist that I interviewed also a couple of weeks ago, and she has this huge exhibition, and she's hosting it in London at a studio there. And yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with that for her as well. So. Yeah, I think it's very hard to, to, to put your head into the new world. It's uh, it's I, I, I don't think that we're going to go back exactly to... No where we were and maybe that's not always a bad thing no but, uh, i i had an exhibition going and it was really nice and yeah. then we closed two weeks early that was here in new york oh wow and it 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 first you know you you have to just reset your mind a little bit it was just a shame because i was looking forward to going to holland but um our neighbors for example they were in singapore now and yeah, they are coming back on Friday, actually. So they've been living in Singapore. But I think now, because Singapore's gone in lockdown, they decided to come back. But you didn't. No, I live here and my wife and kids are here. Yeah. And, uh, I was supposed to go to Utah, actually. And my wife was going to go to Brazil because it was spring. Of course, break. yeah. She's Brazilian, right? I remember that now, yeah. Exactly. So she was going to go there with my daughter and visit her father. Uh, so my father-in-law. Yeah. Very old. And he's definitely the target 
audience for this disease. So he yeah. uh, wouldn't be able to see her and she would have to go two weeks in quarantine. And I realized that we were probably going to live in this new situation for a long time. And I didn't want to risk no. all being separate, but yeah. uh, we're, we're doing pretty good. She, she's, we have a, a duplex. Yeah the roof deck so we have more space than most people and we go for walks and so you're allowed to huh in new york you are discouraged from doing anything but the essential yeah so what i do is i i go to my studio which is a five minute walk and it's an empty building yeah um all the factories are closed yeah and my um my kids are mostly at home. I go run with my son every two, three days. Nice. Yeah. So that's it. It's a little boring, right? But um, yeah. So well, let's um now now that we're on the show and everything's recording, let's yeah. let's talk to because I mean this is a whole other platform now. I mean we spoke. Uh, yeah, we spoke. What was it now? About three years ago, or? Yes, exactly. We were spoken. We were in my. Uh, my mom's house, I think. Yeah. And uh, then we went across the street from the yeah, gallery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was such a, it was a stunning interview and you, you were, it was a stunning exhibition. It was, uh, it was so lovely to be a part of that, you know, and then also to go into your childhood home and, yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a funny morning. I was, I was running on, uh, on fumes at that point. Yeah, yeah, you were hangover, I remember. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, so let's tell the listeners, um, let's just give them a little bit of, yeah, uh, just paint the picture a bit. So, who's Sebastian Bremer? Oh, um, well, I am a Dutch artist and I moved to New York when I was 22 years old. And I had the idea of staying here for a year. And yeah, so, so I'm a visual artist and I assisted many artists. I never really went to school. And uh, since about 1998, I've been exhibiting regularly and represented by different galleries. And right now I'm represented by Edwin Hauck Gallery, which is here in the city in Manhattan. And with the Dutch Gallery in Amsterdam, Ron Mottles Gallery, and then in the London with Hales Gallery. And in the past, I've been represented by different galleries in Paris and Berlin and Sao Paulo. But now it's those three. Yeah. And... Um, I am working towards a retrospective exhibition in 2022, if everything goes well. It's uh, 21C. It's, uh, it's a series of, of small museums that is all over the United States. So that's in the books. And I recently completed um, uh, art for a record sleeve, two record sleeves and one book cover. Wow. And uh, I just had an exhibition close. Here in New York City, and that was nice. And um, I'm disappointed that my next show in Holland won't happen. That was going to be a show where I was going to. Uh, part of it was a curated exhibition done by me and another uh, curator. Mm -hmm. and then the other half would be work that I made. And uh, the story of the show was going to be about dystopia, in particular Brazilian dystopias, and about what have we done to the world in order to make it work for us and now it's kind of biting us in the butt and so it seems kind of topical at the moment absolutely I don't, yeah but i mean it's very brazil focused it, it, it one of the things that started it off is because i was working on these images of 
this waterfall that was submerged in the south of Brazil when they made a giant dam uh, on the border of Argentina, Paraguay, and Brazil. And I found slides of the old waterfall, which were very beautiful, but they were completely bleached out. Like a color slide becomes very orange when it's old. Yeah. And um, so I had the plan of starting to work on that particular image. And then a friend of mine saw it on a studio visit, and she had just seen a little documentary another friend had made about the same dam and using stock eight millimeter footage that had bleached the same way. So it looked as if it was an animated version of the picture that I was about to use. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was going to do a solo show and that was going to tie into this, this show about other, from other artists because the gallery is really big in Holland. So we wanted to use the space. Yeah. So, Okay, I've seen your work, so our listeners haven't all seen your work. Yeah. Um, is your work still the same? As as is is the foundation of your work still the same? Yes, I, I mostly work on photographs, and I I draw on them, or I draw on paper that looks like it's photography, but there is actually no photograph behind mm. it. And I make little marks. Usually, it's by pen. And they're little dots, and from a distance, they look like a cohesive image. And when you get up close, you realize it's uh, all handmade, and they're all one of a kind. Yeah. And talk about your. Um, I want to get back now. On in a minute, I'll get back uh, onto what you were talking about now in terms of these exhibitions. But talk to us about where your um, inspiration started, because it started with that one photograph that's in your. Is it the photograph that's still in your mom's home? Was it that? She, yeah, I made a small edition, and she has an edition print of it. Uh, it, I, um, it's a picture that you're talking about. Is a picture that I made, uh, started on in 2000, and mm. it's an image of my niece swimming in a swimming pool underneath the water, and um, I made a very simple series of dots on it that that looked like waves of or air, and um, I made that as kind of a a shamanistic kind of intervention on the photograph that was that I started when when I spoke to my wife who was about to embark on a intercontinental flight mm -hmm. and she was nervous about the plane crashing and I told her not to worry and then as she was flying I got a little superstitious and then I was sleepless and I decided to start this picture and it was called I held my breath for 13 hours afraid she wouldn't come home Aptly enough, the girl who is swimming in that pool um, is my niece, and she is doing fine now. But um, a year ago, she was uh, hit by a car in Amsterdam. Oh, wow. In a coma for two weeks. And when that was happening, I sent a picture of that print to her hospital room while she was convalescing. Oh. And as I w had was going through it, I, uh, I, uh, while she was going through it, I printed other images from that same series, actually, and I just started working on it again. So the same, kind of the same work, or at least a follow-up of it 20 years later. Wow. So the character, she's, um, I think she was born in 1992, yeah, so 27, she, she's 27 now. So I used it again, again with a shamanistic, 
idea of, of, of safeguarding her in a certain way. Wow, beautiful. So that's something that I, I, I do, but my work has become very branched off in different ways, even though there are certain similarities still. Mm. So, yeah, because uh, the, the, the foundation being the photograph and still the little it, holes or... Uh, the, the, I think I would say the one constant part is is the certain kind of mark making that I do. Mm. But recently, uh, my last exhibition had a whole series of portraits that were uh, based on little etchings by Rembrandt. But because I do it by hand and because they're on black paper, um, I, I don't uh, I don't use any sketches or anything else. So I do it as the picture emerges. I draw on it, so it doesn't actually look very much like the etching at all, but it does look like a photograph. It's very much based on that original etching. Yeah. Like time travels. It's almost as if I... It's kind of exciting when it works because it's like taking a picture of somebody in 1600 um, and something. And re yeah. kind of re, uh, re-imaging them, bringing them to life again. Yeah, and, and, and because you do it by hand, it... it, it it, uh, it's transformed a little bit, but uh, the, the, the way that I work with basically working only in highlights, it, it looks very much like a photograph. And yeah. I, like, I like that also because there is a certain timelessness at looking another face. You sometimes you see a face painted on a, um, on a sarcophagus, like the late mummies. Yeah. Like, from the period where the Rome, Roman and Greek influence is very strong. If you look at those pictures, they, they look like people that you could see in the subway. Funny, and, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like that. I, I It also is some kind of consolation, especially in times like these when you think like, oh, woe is me. Yeah. And you think like, well, woe was also the other times. You know, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't have exclusivity to uh, to this condition. Although this is a new one. But. Yeah, no, but that's, I mean, that is very interesting. The, exactly what you just said, this exclusivity thing is it's amazing with this happening now, right? Is that there is no, no one's higher or lower than another human being. You know, we're all equal. Like That too, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and you read the stories of, of the plague or, or the influenza in 1918 or... Um, but it's small consolation because usually I, I'm able to say, well, my parents went through this or my grandparents went through that. Mm. They all survived. But then again, I speak to my parents now and they seem very worried, not only because they're in the danger zone, but also mm. because they've never experienced anything like this. So it must be real, <laughs> really. Yeah. Really well, I think it's also, I, I, for me personally, I think it's also, it's the fact that it, it had goes to the lungs and it's that, you know, yeah, not being able to breathe is, I mean, that's, well, then, then that cuts everything off, you know, because you're able to fix, maybe you're able to fix other things better, but if you can't breathe, well, that's like, a, I mean, there's just no hope then, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's yeah no it's it's uh, I think I think uh, dying of a lung illness is a horrible way to go. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it, they compare it to drowning, I guess. But um, I try not to go there too too closely in my mind. And luckily, I have some friends who got sick but are better. Really? They so they uh, had corona. 
Yeah, in Holland, yeah. actually. Oh, really? Uh, and uh, I know of only one person, and I don't know him directly, who, who passed away. He was a musician, and he was only 53 years old. So, no, it scares the bejesus out of me. But yeah, uh, it, it, certain moments you're 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 worried, and other moments I feel like I'm doing what I can and wash my hands. And, yeah. And, and and strangely enough, my condition is number one. My my health, I think, in general, is very good. But uh, my condition in my daily life is very much similar to what everybody else is going through. I work by myself. I have no clear goal except for an exhibition once in a while. Um, and I depend on the kindness of strangers who buy my pictures. But other, it's not like I have a regular job, like uh, where I see a lot of other people. Mm. Well, this seclusion is not so strange for me. Yeah, you're an artist. <laughs> Besides, I mean, normally, I, of course, I have a social life and I enjoy that. And now I just have a family life, which is interesting, too. You know, I, I, I get to see my children much more than normally, 18 and 16. So they normally don't want to be at home. They don't want to be at home. Normally, no. Normally, they go out and, and yeah. hang out. With but I mean, friends. at the moment, are they OK to be at home? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are remarkably okay. Yeah. Just today is difficult because it's my wife's birthday and, and she, I, I cannot really buy a good present and I cannot really come up with something that is so different than yesterday. Yeah. But you know, yeah. that's for my birthday was also, uh, during this period also now in March and it's okay. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I was cool with it. I mean, you know, what did they do for you? No, well, it was it was just before um, everything happened, but I didn't have a party or anything like that. So um, it was the week actually that it was announced officially. Yeah, and, and you were in Amsterdam, right? I'm in. Uh, I'm now in Harlem. In Harlem. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, we had an amazing dinner at home, and I think that's yeah, do something like that. Like, may, you you can't go to the shops to get groceries, so maybe just you know that was amazing. Like having a nice dinner at home, and um, yeah, nice champagne and a nice dinner, and you know that was yeah. that was great. That's what I did. That's what I did. I'm going to um, and since it's Passover, apparently you have to make a really clean house. So oh really. <laughs> I'm done here. I'm going to go home and, and put on my apron. Okay, cool. And so let's. I'll, I'll clean the house naked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there we go. There's a yeah. birthday present, right? <laughs> so tell me, um, you have since because we we've we've spoken before. So I know that you well, you were anti the system, huh? When you were younger, when you were studying. Yeah. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. I mean, here you are. You're an artist living in. Uh, in New York, and you've, you've got three different galleries that are representing your work, uh, one yeah. in Amsterdam, one in London, and New York. Yeah, you weren't one of these artists that followed the system and, you know, followed this whole traditional art education. No. You know, I, 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 when I look back, I, I, and especially since I've taught a little bit here and there, I sometimes second-guess my choices, but then again, most people do. Yeah. I did not want to stay in Holland. That was my one real feeling. I grew up in Amsterdam and had a nice adolescence there and didn't feel I needed to see more of that. And um, uh, I came to New York just with the idea of, of, of staying for a year and maybe finding a way to show my work. And, and 
I went with a little portfolio and I had a nice little studio and I was able to get some people by and that was really nice. Um, and um, then after staying here, then I, really for real, I, I started assisting other artists um, and they all assumed I knew about painting since I was uh, from Holland. And I, I know a little bit of making, you know, pigments and stuff like that. But people assume in the United States that you're smarter than you are if you're from Europe and, uh, you know, old school, the old world. Yeah. And um, so I made paintings for other people um, or with other artists and I made sculpture. And then my last uh, money job was was uh, assisting friends of mine and they were photographers. And I had assisted some photographers before, so I knew a little bit about how a photo studio works. And uh, I was there the line producer, so that just means that you're the first person in and the last person out. And um, since they were fashion photographers, that was a relatively well-paid well job. And whenever they were shooting in New York, that was my gig. Mm. I was able to sustain that till... Um, I had a friend who kept on advising me to apply to this one particular art residency. It's called Skowhegan. It's in Maine. And um, I was rejected twice. And the third time I got in. And it's a postgraduate painting residency and sculpture residency in the summer. And it's for nine weeks. It's like a pressure cooker. Mm. And a lot of really well-known and, and established uh, older visual artists become kind of the teachers. And all you get to do is is paint and, and, and live and eat for free. Um, and you get studio visits on a weekly basis. And that really, for me, was very formative. Also because I met a lot of other artists who had gone to school and were going here as a postgraduate. And so that gave me a feeling of, of, um, of self-worth mm. that... That helped and also an exposure to a larger group of artists, which mm. I think if there's <coughs> sorry, if there's one real benefit of going to art school, it's it's uh, it's finding uh, your peers. And mm. uh, and even though it's a bubble, uh, once school is over, you, you have a little bit of a network. And that's something that I always had to build up myself. And I, I am social, so I was able to accomplished that to a certain degree already before Skowhegan, but Skowhegan really helped. Yeah. And once I was from there, everybody was like, oh, you went to Skowhegan. You know, that, that means something. Mm. And um, yeah, and then I, when I came out of Skowhegan, I had three modes of working. I, I made sculptures a little bit and murals. I made um, uh, paintings and I made collages and I made drawings on photographs. And, I, I gave them all a fair shot, and in the end, the drawings on photographs seem to connect easiest with me and with other people. Yeah, speak to you the most. Speak, yeah, and, and I, I showed it to a friend, and the friend suggested that I show it to a, a gallery uh, that he knew. Yeah. And uh, picked it up, and they took my work to the gallery, and they sold the work within the week, and then they asked for another piece, and they sold that. Yeah. And then they um, said, listen, this is going really well and we'd love to exhibit your, your work and we guarantee an exhibition even if all your work is uh, sold beforehand, Yeah, which was nice. So that was the beginning of, of my, my exhibiting uh, work. 
And why and did the photo speak to you? I mean, you like you, you said, you tried all these different. Yeah, and I know. I think it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, I started as a as a very young person to draw a lot because, and that was also inspired because I loved comic books, and and I worked in a comic book store as a kid. Um, but when I finished high school, I figured the next step would be to learn how to paint and to make paintings. But I was, you know, I didn't go to art school, so I did it by myself. Um, I used photographs as a as a source material to make paintings, and 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 since I didn't really have an art education and I hadn't really a clue on 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 what to paint, mm. the subject matter was very much um, inspired by whatever I had and whatever I had was me and I could find me in family photographs. Okay. And and the focus of that continued and when I was in Skowhegan I asked all the other artists as well to see if they had a photograph that, that was for them important. And it turned out most of the artists had a, a picture of their family with them. And there's just something universal to it. I guess it's, it, it speaks to all of us that you def define yourself a little bit by the people that you love and the pictures you have of those people. Mm. They don't need to be the most stunning photographs. They, they, but they're kind of universal. And um, uh, and by combining it with drawing, I, I throw inks over it. I do whatever it takes to make it to pump up the volume, as it was, yeah. and make it. <laughs> and um, and then once it, once it's it's done, it's done, and then it's time for the next. Mm. You know, it's like a slideshow almost. Um, but some of because um, some of when I went to your exhibition three years ago at Ron Mandos was that a was that a big photograph an actual photo that, paper that you worked on yeah well it was it was it was similar to what I had just exhibited actually it was it was just black photo paper that I just ran in a dark room but it wasn't uh, there was no there was no negative involved mm. it's just exposed black paper and and I made a triptych just now using very much the same technique where it was a digital output print, but it was uh, there was hardly any any image on it. It was just a hint of gray in one panel. The second panel had a little bit of blue, and the third panel had basically every color of the rainbow, but just ever so slightly. They were very mm. dark. Wow! And just to to clarify for everyone listening, so. A panel, I guess you, the best way to describe what you're talking about, if you were to think of a panel, then you could think of like a room divider. You know, those, you know, where you have like three. Well, it consists of three, right? So this one was a, the, the one you saw was a diptych, but this one was a triptych. And so each panel is, is about one meter by two and a half meters. Mm. So overall, the piece was pretty big. It's three meters by two and a half meters. So you're talking about these vague uh, prints on it. So, I mean, do you actually, how, do you print something on there? I mean, on this photo paper? In this case, I did because I, I wanted to have the, the I wanted to, to make it look like there was a reflection in the picture. Because very irritatingly, sometimes when you look at a framed photograph, you see a reflection in it. And I wanted to have that. <laughs> preload, preload the picture with reflection, but also... With the, the 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 color scheme was important. It was it was a little bit like the a picture of the history of man. So the first one was black and white, which mm. would be prehistory, 
then a little bit of glimmer of dawn was was history and then the one with the panoply of colors was the present and and in the image it was a, a series of uh, depictions of of just men um and i grabbed them from different uh, art historical uh, etchings again by rembrandt who who are saying ooh and ah and making very dramatic expressions. Yes, as they did. And there's lots of waves, waves going through, which was uh, supposed to show the, 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 the environmental disaster that we are creating. Um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's made by men mostly, right? Like uh, men have been in charge for the, the last uh, bit of time that I know. Mm. It's also a little bit of a joke because at this moment in time, uh, there's a lot of identity art and there is with the Me Too era and many other things as a, as a who can I speak to? And I'm almost my, my, my voice as a, as a white man mm. is, is charged with where I come from and being a European white male, um, I cannot speak at this moment or not, I'm not really free to, um, to take ownership of other people's stories. What do you mean by I, that? Well, uh, like in, in, in the America is very strong about, um, political, uh, identity and, um, um, how can I say this in a way that I don't make it too simple? But um, well, there's, for instance, the, the just say, say it in the Dutch way. Just say, yeah. be straightforward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a I'm a white man, and I cannot speak to the black experience, and I cannot speak to the female experience. I can only speak to the white male experience, and yeah. so I thought it funny to to make a picture that that shows only white men. Um, but really so clearly that there is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's like, I can take ownership of that. Yeah. And there is, there was, there's one black character actually in the corner who just looks in and he looks at the camera and he's kind of nonplussed and he's like, not my fault kind of. Yeah. And there's a woman on the, on the very bottom of the picture who is passed out. Uh, she she seems overwhelmed by uh, by the shitstorm that that she is seeing. Yeah, the, the work looks like a like like a hysterical. I'm I'm technically not able now to pull that up. And if I show a picture, it's out of focus. Like if I show this, it's, oh, yeah. But actually, it. you can if you just hold it in a certain. Uh, yeah, guys. So for those of you listening, you know what I'm actually going to do is I'll ask uh, Sebastian to send me some pics through, and I'll put them. Uh, I'll put them on the. That seems to be the good idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll put them on the Instagram as well because that's where everyone looks uh, for all the current affairs. Which, by the way, I'd, you're still a mystery to me on Instagram. I cannot find you. <laughs> okay, I'll send that to you. As yeah. Well. What is your Instagram for everyone listening? Buscalier. That's B A S C A L Y E R. But oh. if you type my name, Sebastian Bremer, it will show up as well. Okay, I'll uh, I'll give that a go again later. So I'm very curious now to just explore this because um you know I'm I have my podcast show um I've always had these different talk shows and it's I've I've never had this desire to just empower women. I grew up in a male dominated family. I've got three amazing brothers and you know a strong male father figure. 
um, you know, I hunted uh, with my dad, you know, he's a real sort of South African bushman, you know, but we ate everything that we hunted and, you know, this is how I grew up. And so for me, like men are so much and the masculinity in life and the, the masculine force in life is so much a part of what I think is very important in life as well. And I understand the history uh, where there's separation. I get that. Um, but I've come into the world through my story and it's exactly like you saying, you owning your story, right? So you can take ownership for your painting that you're going to be putting out there soon. And for yeah. me, um, I'm going to take ownership for my story. So my story is that I've come into a world, as I've just explained, and um, yeah, I'm not a feminist. I think I am. You're a feminist. Yeah. Let's, so let's... Well, talk to me about this. What is, you're a white, just what you explained. So you're a white male, yeah. uh, Dutch, living in New York, successful artist, um, always, even what I remember from the previous uh, uh, interview, being true to yourself in your art, um, also personal with your work. What's your impression of feminism and this world of feminism? I think uh, uh, women are not equal partners in the world in terms of income and opportunities. And the same goes for minorities. They are not equal partners. And the reason why is that the gatekeepers in the world are mostly still men and people cannot, white men, and, and you cannot help but, but identify uh, others who look like you as, as, as the, the logical uh, partner in anything. And so I think there's a bias that, that is not necessarily chosen. And even if people are very self-aware, there, you cannot help but being biased because you, you, you look at reflections of yourself. You look for reflections of yourself. So until there is an equal representation to the population of, of people of color and of women in these gatekeeper roles, and that means, I guess, in boards of directors, that means in, 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 in places, uh, how do you call it, human resources. And unless you have an equal representation there, you're not going to have the equal opportunities for everybody in mm. the world and and that's just a small part of it i think that 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 social conditioning um has a huge role and uh, at the same time i think i'm very much a reflection of 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 the income level of my parents and the educational level of my parents and also being privileged and growing up in a safe place like holland but having having parents who were educated and having book books on the bookshelf I kind of inhaled their surroundings and I inhaled my my position in the world. Uh, it was just matter of fact. It was just part of the course. It was normal. And and so I expected certain things of myself. And I think if you grow up in a very different way mm. and with a different cultural identity, uh, the world is not so accessible. And I, 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 I think in that sense, until that is that is corrected by positive discrimination and other tools, um, the world is not going to so change rapidly enough. So I think it's time to continue programs like this, however um, forceful they may seem. Um, until you do that and until you have a proper reflection in the world, uh, then you won't have any kind of equality. And, and I, I, I think it's ridiculous that my daughter and my wife 
um, don't have the same access to power. And I think now, speaking of the art world, uh, there is also a corrective moment that's been happening over the last few years where there's much more interest in arts made by, let's call it minorities or, or disenfranchised people. So there's much more art made by black artists and that is getting much more uh, chance to, to be exhibited. Maybe more <coughs> than the than you would expect because there's a correction taking place mm. and and that is only just because there's still an enormous amount of white male uh, painters and, and they still get a much larger slice of the pie and their art is much uh, higher uh, much more expensive and, and and then there is just my individual case of I'm I happen to be a white male and I am indeed a little successful and uh, my work commands a certain amount of uh, dollars. And I, I, that's my reality. And, and I, I can't help but being defined by that for good. And sometimes also it, it puts me in a little corner and I find that interesting. And so that's why I made that work, not to complain about anything or but just to point something out and also try to be not too heavy about it. Mm. Uh, it's like, just a reflection. It's just like this is what's going on. Um, sorry, I was stepping on your line. No, 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 not at all. Um, so when you say systems, you're referring to feminism then, these systems you're saying, to have these systems in place. Well, no, it's just the political system right now and, and, and the economical system that you have over here. It's it, I, I think I have a certain... Um, uh, I always had a feeling that my place in the world is is it's there, and I think a lot for a lot of people it it may not seem that way because they don't see themselves reflected in the landscape of the gallery scene or the work that you see in muse museums or the, the world you see in in the movie. Mm. And I guess I call those systems, but I don't know why. Oh, I would okay, do that. yeah. And 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 so. But uh, you, I mean, yeah. Sorry. No, I mean that this is just my political uh, bias. This is where I come from. This is how I feel. But yeah, nothing to do really with my work normally. And my work, funny enough, is very often interpreted as being made by a very old person. If you wouldn't have my name with it, you wouldn't know necessarily that it's made by a male. Um, and when I moved to New York. Actually, in 1993, 92, um, political correctness was was very much on everybody's mind, mm. and the crisis had just abated a little bit, and um, and so identity politics was 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 what was going on. There was a lot of work in that exhibition in the Whitney Biennial uh, being being shown, and 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 I I was. Uh, I was a bit like, oh shit, where here here I come. <laughs> why? Why from Holland? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, why do you think that they had selected you into that exhibition? Oh no, I wasn't selected in an exhibition, and I knew I wasn't going to be. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, like I and and I've I I uh, I mean, I had my moment of hipness, but but uh, I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> 
happiness. <laughs> but you've got to take some, I mean, I'm hearing your, you know, I mean, I, I kind of want to explore that that further, you know, that because and and it's uncanny because there there are a few things that are in theme at the moment. The one of them being the virus that we discussed earlier, the other one being your painting, which connects to the current, you know, kind of connects in with what's going on at the moment with these different systems changing and with the virus. Do you? Do you look, take on a philosophical approach or a more sort of factual approach? Uh, I, 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 yeah, no, a combination of the two, I would guess. I, I feel that um, it's it's just amplifying a lot of things that were going to occur anyway, but now they're being sped up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think the speed of the travel of the virus has to do with the fact of all the travel that we do all the time and consider normal. Um, this interdependent economy that, that, that creates this need for something to be made in China and then shipped to another place to be sold Mm. in place and then maybe be sold again in China is, is, uh, is a little decadent and a little wasteful and perhaps also polluting the world to a great extent. And I, I, I think there was already a move towards more, um, lighter ways of, of, of selling and perhaps digital uh, uh, um, representation is maybe going to occur more often. And now I think it's that's just being sped up. It's, it's cheaper and it's lighter. I think it also loses a lot of um, qualities. Like it's really special to see things that are handmade and right in front of your face. Mm. And, and observed only by you at that moment. Um, I think if if everything is just spread all over the place, like Instagram, it, it loses a certain preciousness. Mm. Um, I think that that maybe what's going to happen is that uh, there's going to be m- much more love for intimate objects and things that are created by artisans and uh, craftsmen. And I heard somebody use the the phrase that the, the power of the amateur is going to come up, whereas everybody will be forced more to do things by themselves with all the failures that that has, but also the charm that it has. Beautiful. At this moment, we cannot go outside to a great restaurant, but you can attempt to make that apple pie yourself. Yeah. Or, uh, and I, I identify with that because I'm not the best draftsman and I'm definitely not the best photographer, but I make do with what I have. And by doing it to the greatest extent that I can, it can become something powerful just because it's a good representation of one individual expression. And and that I think there is always going to be a love for that. And I think there is a, a certain lack of charm to art that is being made. Uh, by an artist who has a studio with 500 people and he just basically faxes the idea and everybody goes for this high production quality, which was very hard to attain about 30 years ago. Mm. But uh, right now, manufacturing very sophisticated and completely perfectly surfaced sculptures is not very hard anymore. Mm. And issues of scale are also not a problem anymore. You can always have many... 3D printers make things, and so I think that's less interesting to me personally. 
and and I I feel that maybe at this moment if there's going to be a, a a lower gear that everything is going to slow down just a little bit first because of necessity because at this moment we cannot travel so much and maybe there's going to be less money going around so maybe there is going to be less need to have a sculpture of 200 million dollars in your garden mm. maybe it's going to be something that is a little bit smaller and maybe a little bit more handmade mm. but i don't know what's going to happen i have no inkling but you are it. looking at it as i mean the way i'm hearing you also you are um it's definitely internalizing you to think about it on a philosophical level um you know yeah. and I, I, I think the world needed, uh, we needed help. Uh, it was, I, I think everybody was continuing to do everything because everybody does it and everybody flies and everybody goes on a holiday to the Bahamas and everybody wants to see Paris and you cannot deny anybody who gets the opportunity to want to travel and see the world that, that you cannot tell other people that they cannot do that. But at the same time, if everybody does it all the time, we're destroying places. Even if you just go to Venice, it's destroyed not only because of the cruise ships, but also just the volume of people. <clears throat> and not to mention there's the pollution in mm. the in the water. Yeah. And, and we maybe needed a certain reset. It's just, of course, horrible that there's people dying. Yeah. All of that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm trying to also give myself a little bit of a, a pacifier. Mm. But it's it's of course it's terrifying what's happening, and I don't know if if economically economically I'll be able to sustain the same life. I, I hope so. How though. how does you're an artist? You host your work in exhibitions, um, and what I wanted to so I'm gonna uh, yeah. We're talking about so many amazing things here. So firstly, I just want to say you also need to give yourself credit, right, Shirley, for, for your work. I mean, you talk about in that conversation with feminism, et cetera, you also have to give yourself the credit for producing beautiful work. I mean, yes, you're a man. Yes, you came from a privileged background. You inhaled, in your words, you said you inhaled huh, the education and, and the experiences through your parents. But you also have to give yourself credit as well. You know, like I think I think it's really important that men or women are equal. You know, like there needs to be equality and not like suddenly this whole reverse thing where suddenly men go – you know, be become apologetic for everything. Like it needs to just be equal. I'm not being apologetic. It's just, it's just, I'm observing. Yeah. It's just, it's just a given. It's not, not, it's not, it's not that I feel sorry for my position or guilty about my position. It's just more of an observation. It is, it is, it is just true that there is a lot of male artists that are able to succeed and there's more of us than there is of um, for female or, mm. or, or black artists still. But um, no, of course, I'm just an individual. I'm not a man first. I'm just me. Yes. And, uh, and what I make is a reflection of what I think and what I feel. And it's made by hand by me. No, I'm, I take complete ownership. Mm. Um, and I, I, I have a certain pride in, in being a, a self-made man. And I, it's it's ridiculous to what I assumed to be possible and to actually have it come to fruition that I've 
started showing in New York and I've had exhibitions in many countries and continents around the world and even more spectacularly that, that I've been able to sell it and able to live of it and sustain a family and eventually buy a house here in New York. Yeah. Just making things out of my head and then on, on top of it all that my work, which is, is, is not in language, but it is a visual language, uh, that it apparently connects with people that are from very different cultures and, and with a completely different background than mine. And I've, and that still is the greatest joy because I think art is all about communication and, and to feel that you're understood and that somebody else is, is, is connecting with your work in a personal way and maybe even interpreting it in a way that is similar to what I set out to do is really magical. Mm -hmm. I, and that is like this, this, the, the golden, the golden mean, the one sweet spot that, that just still turns me on. It's uh, very much, and it's always a rediscovery. It's, it happens when I'm making a drawing and after a few hard steps that it's congealing into an image that is actually speaking back to me. Beautiful. Is ridiculous. And then I show that picture and then someone else can be emoted by that particular set of gestures that I've made on a piece of paper. And that's making something out of nothing. That's like conjuring something and that's magical. And mm. that's, that's really nice to, to be part of. Yeah, that's beautiful. And tell yeah. me who, which, I mean, because you exhibit all over and you, t you were saying, you know, people from completely different backgrounds to yours. W who do you sell most of your art to? What culture or what backgrounds? Or uh, Yeah, that's, that's, that of course shifts because people who purchase art have uh, at some point bought your work over a period of five or ten years and so if they have 10 pictures of you, it's turned, you know, they, how many pictures of one artist do you need? Yeah. It shifts. Um, I have a lot of collectors in England. I have a lot of collectors in um, the United States. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're all Americans or English. Um, I had a... Um, my my, my father-in-law has one. <laughs> uh -huh. My... Uh, my... my uh, most recent, that big triptych was sold to a woman of Indian descent. Okay. And they live in in, in the U.S. Um, but they were, the, she was with a group of friends, and and they all com liked my work very much. And I could suddenly see, like maybe it relates to a history of miniaturism that you have, or a certain handcrafts that that you see in art, a certain style that you see in Indian art or Pakistani mm -hmm. art. Uh, that relates to my work, but then maybe it's it's it has to... yeah because it has almost a flow to it, right? It has this like you said, you wouldn't know if it's a man or woman who who does your paintings because got this it does have an elegance about it. Uh, yeah, and it's definitely craft. It it, it, it and uh, there's a lot of detail and and it's 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 obviously made over long stretches of time, so there is a, a craft quality to it, mm. and. Um, uh, and maybe that's, but I, I cannot assume anything. I have no idea why they, it connected with them so much. I, I have made very different work also with very colorful photographs that my parents took on a, on a trip in the Alps that I made very large, colorful marks on. 
I exhibited that work in a in a in a biennial in Korea, and I had an enormous response in Korea. Wow! Of that work, which is to me was hard to understand because these were pictures of, again, you know, white Europeans standing on Swiss mountaintops, and 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 in some way, they were very uh, universally uh, speaking, and yeah. and and I I. I think that's amazing. And of course, I think we're also almost naive to assume that our our ideas are only only understood by people from our own culture. And and I did make a whole series of work about with that question in mind, because there are art historical ways of looking at art. So there's the way of looking at art just coming completely naive. And just it responding, you responding to it. But then there is, of course, other stories that are activated by drawings. Mm. Um, but when you say that you were looking, uh, so you were wanting to explore that, are you talking about the the oneness of? No, no. I I I just made a whole series of works a while ago where I used elements of of uh, European uh, still life painting, because uh, there there's a whole like, series of of, of of uh, gestures or images that that relate to particular stories, so a violin without strings, or a candle without a flame, mm. or a okay. glass, all in all, those things mean something, right? They all mean like you shall die. And yeah, they all have a meaning. Yeah, philosophical. I mean, not a philosophical, a meaning. Yeah, a symbol. They're symbols. The symbol. And, yeah, and so, um, but. It, I was also thinking like, well, imagine if you're from a completely different culture and you have no experience, then it's just so weird to see a painting of a skull and a violin without strings. <laughs> and what does that mean to you then? Yeah. Um, but I look at at objects of art made in different cultures or different different uh, millennia and, and they speak to me too. So it's, you know, I, I don't know how to interpret... Uh, a religious artifact from from Egypt from three thousand years ago, but I can really like it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, well, that's what I identify with. I, I, I like art from all ages and all all periods, and I'm not totally obsessed with only what we make in this sliver of time. Yeah. And have you ever um, refused art to to anyone to a buyer? I am not the person selling the work. Yeah, okay. So it's not really up to me, but I do know that the people who buy art tend to have a lot of money because it's for them not such a big deal to pay serious amounts of money that I would use to buy a couch or something. Um, although I do buy art, and actually I, 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 whenever I have enough money, I really like buying art just to be part of that yeah. story I'm also benefiting from but um, now very wealthy people tend to have investments all over the place and some of them must be tainted but the same is true for if you get a subsidy from a country let's say the Holland in Holland the, the national uh, income of the, of the state is also determined by the national gas company that is a big polluter or Royal Dutch Shell which mm. is also nice company in terms of what they did in Nigeria or all over the world or South Africa for that matter yeah. in the past. So 
Um, but I have work that was purchased by a, f- a famous collector in England who are actually arms traders. Oh, and okay. There they stopped trading wi- weapons. But, um, uh, you know, what is that? You know, I think we're all tainted to a certain degree, but I would not sell anything to uh, a neo-Nazi or or an arms trader if I would know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it does it does create that buffer, right? It does create that you know, the fact that you you selling through the gallery, you know, that does change the dynamic of yeah, yeah, and I, I and 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 I think that's <clears throat> actually brings you to another another point is that um, art um, art dealers are very important, and you need to find somebody who is. Um, a good representative of your art, and and they should be people who are ethically uh, on the pa- same page as you are. Mm. How you do know? you find? Yeah, how did you choose the people? Did you have what was your process? Well, it's kind of the other way around. They kind of choose you, <laughs> and then yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, what am I thinking? I mean, a I gallery. I, I was very lucky to start uh, in a in a in a nice environment where the where the the economy for art was very low, but then it started growing, and that was around um, 2000. Um, the big bubble of the 80s was over. The 90s was a bit low and slow, and then in the year 2000, a lot of young galleries started, and I started showing with a gallery that was basically artist-run. And uh, it was a very communal experience. We were all the same, and they were not privileged people as well. Uh, and so for a period of about five, six years, it was an amazing place because it was organically growing, and all the artists were different. But we were all ambitious and, uh, and, and, and good, of high quality. And, um, and from there, you know, they showed my work at art fairs. At the Armory Fair was the first place that I started showing in an art fair and there my work was seen by a gallery from Berlin and she did what what is a traditional mode she purchased the work a work of mine and then the conversation started and she said I obviously like your work a lot and I would like to exhibit it and that was one and then I had another a friend of mine curated the show in a gallery in Paris in the Air de Paris and they exhibited my work in a group show and then asked me if I wanted to do a solo show with them. And so then you have a nice little resume and Air de Paris is known very well. And then based on that, another gallery says, well, hmm, if they like it, maybe this is interesting. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's already a, uh, a client base because a gallery is not going to exhibit an artist more than two shows without selling a piece of work because they're commercial yeah. And so so that's how it kind of rolled and and the gallery that I show with now in New York is uh, is is uh, the director is a uh, is a woman who has known my work going back all the way to 1999 and she actually purchased the work for her own collection. Um and and she just kept on going to every single show that I had here in New York and kept on saying like I really think you should meet Edwin. I really think that you would be very happy there with us and I, I I kept on saying to her but this is a photography gallery and I'm not really a photographer 
But she was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> you should come and, and, and see us and have a meeting. And eventually I, I did. And she was completely right. Mm. And it's a very nice gallery. So the gallery, you mentioned it earlier. So it's Edwin, what's the last name? Edwin Hauk. Hauk. Yeah, because no, that stuck out to me. Hauk. Where does that name come from? I don't know. I think it's Dutch also. Yeah, it sounds, sure. yeah. sounds like I, it's from this side of the fence. <laughs> yeah, I, I have I, I have to apologize, but I see it's it's already two fifteen, and yes. I have to be be a husband. You got to take uh, your clothes off and put your apron on. <laughs> cool. So listen, it's been amazing to chat. Thanks for doing this with me. Um, I think what's nice, let's end off on something. So I mean, let's just end off on current affairs, I suppose, and a little bit of inspiration. Um, how? Yeah. What? What advice would you give to other artists out there who, just like you, are home? Do what you love and, 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 and do a lot of it. And really spend, spend uh, your time and your energy on things that you really, that come naturally to you. We always have a blind spot, I think, for the thing that comes easiest to us. But if you do it well, then you'll, you'll, you'll express yourself in a good way. And, I would say start with thinking of doing what you what you can. So invite people you admire and 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 friends to to make your own initiatives. Because if you wait for other people to invite you to something, then you can sit like a really pretty flower behind the window for a very long time. But if you go and reach out and and create your own energy and your own dynamic something, then other people will pay attention and. Who knows where that will lead? So you 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 need to you need to uh, create your own initiatives um, and um, uh, yeah and do what you love and and you have to also accept the fact that you're going to probably not make any money in it and 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 if you still want to do it knowing that then um, then that's what you should be doing but it, it's a, it's a really tricky weird thing filled with uh, insecurity and uh, and failure <laughs> <laughs> but just so yeah i mean cuz actually what you were saying was appealing to not only artists it's appealing just to people in general actually and the the last part where you say you know with the artist part in terms of the reality of artwork is um don't expect to make any money from it so um, but what you were saying was beautiful in terms of, I mean, that really appeals to anybody right now, you know, in terms of going out there and just, you know, doing your thing. And I'm just quickly curious. So when you say inviting initiatives, you, cause no, now we're invite, starting initiatives, starting initiatives. So, cause we're all home now. Right. So when, when to be practical, you mean exactly from this sort of platform of everyone being at home. Uh, work with with within the limitations that you have. So so like you doing this now via Skype, um, you could perhaps curate something on Instagram or some other medium. But you can also take it to another place and go very lo-fi and 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 start sending things by mail. Um, you could make a an exquisite corpse. You know, you can make a, a fold-up drawing and make it. The, the head and then send it to a friend and they have to make part two and then the third one has to make part three or you could you, you know there's 
I don't know. You can you can ask everybody to take a picture out of of their toes, and and then you'll have a lot of toes. I, I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I think we'll end on the toes. I like that. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> Cool, Sebastian. Well, um, I do do live interviews on Instagram, so maybe we should just have it's a it's a quick thing. It's fun and it's fast. Let's quickly, tell us your Instagram again. It's uh, Boscalier, B A S C A L Y E R. But if you type in my name, Sebastian Bremer, you'll find me on my website, and there is a link as well to my Instagram. So listen, have an amazing uh, evening. Cook something beautiful for your wife. I will I will do my very best. Yeah. Good. And good luck over there. Yeah, thanks. You too. When you do come, let me know. I will. All right. Will. Cool, Sebastian. Take care. Cheers. Hey, Sebastian. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Uh, from a distance, of course, it was so cool to catch up with you again and to, yeah, to see the world through your eyes. Always um, enjoyed having our conversation before in Amsterdam. And yeah, sorry, we didn't get to connect in Amsterdam this time, but that'll happen again. And in the meantime, stay safe and um, good luck with all these yeah changes that we're all going through at the moment. And I really look forward to catching up with you again. So now it's time for me to introduce my next guest. So my next guest, her name is Mildred Hofkes, and she's from the Netherlands. She started studying communication, and actually um, she went into an area of research and analysis, and it was her sort of dream to develop this model that she came up with at university, was, which was all about um, analyzing the way companies uh, are operating and it's looking at, at it from the stakeholders perspective. So basically it's looking at it from anyone who has an invested interest in the business. So it's a super interesting conversation. Um, actually it sounds very businessy, but it's a, it's a very cool conversation to look at the way society is run at the moment. And of course, I'm speaking uh, with a female energy. So the conversation is also very nurturing to what's going on at the moment. So I really encourage you guys to come and listen to it, men and women. I mean, most of her clients have been in the, yeah, in senior roles. So high, um, high positions in authority so a, a lot of men which is uncanny because of you know what Sebastian was talking about so it's going to be a super interesting conversation I urge all of you to come and listen and you know share it on with friends who you think might be interested in the meantime guys have an amazing week and stay safe keep your distance uh, enjoy uh, get inspired connect with yourself and um, yeah if you want to be in contact with me send me an email I'm always available jen at inspirationalinterviews.com or you can find me on any of the Instagram profiles share this on with a friend and ask them to share it with a friend that would make such a huge difference to my show which I'm growing organically and for any of you guys who are interested, as you know, I do interviews. So if you need someone to help you do an interview or you know someone who needs it to get an interview done, then I do that. Obviously, the interviews can be kept privately or, you know, you can share them on different platforms. So um, let me know. Have an amazing week, guys, and uh, see you on the flip side. Thank you.